back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. This is episode 133, and I'm joined on the line once again this week by Sneaky Pete. Pete, how are you doing? Doing good, man. It's uh, it's good to be home a little bit, see some family uh, for the next few days. Are you on spring break as well? Yes, it is our spring break up here in Ontario, so the kids are off of school this week. Um, and uh, so I've got some plans with the kiddos. Um which is kind of exciting. They're, the boys are both, my two older boys are excited. We're going to go and uh, do some sightseeing and a couple of nights in a hotel, which they're all excited about. So yeah, kind of exciting. I think, I think spring break when you're a parent is a little bit different than when you're like, you're like a teenager or like a 20 something year old student or like spring break literally represents endless amounts of possibilities of what you could do and where you could, what you could be going to do. Uh, as a dad, you're like, what can we do that's not totally degenerate? So... <laughs> well, I'm glad you're keeping the kids safe. All right. Um, you ready for tonight's episode? I'm excited. I am very excited for this one. I'm going to be very honest. The, the, we've had a lot of conversations since our last episode about this one, trying to get it um, to a spot where you and I are like both like excited for this. And I think the deck, I think, tonight is actually something that was, I, I looked at it. I was like, wow, that is... It may not sound like a lot to you as an audience out there. Like, you may not appreciate just how wild the deck is that Pete's brewed up tonight. It's pretty wild. <laughs> you. you flatter um, me. Too so, because <laughs> he, he's taken tonight's just a list, all, you know, sugarcoating aside. We're talking lands tonight, folks. Lands are important, but not exciting for like this point of your deck. I mean, everyone needs to have them in their deck. And very rarely do people get like jazzed about talking about lands. Like, yeah. In fact, so many times, so frequently people cut lands from their deck because they're like, it's just a land. However, yeah. if you can go and make your, take your lands from being ho hum to being exciting and something cool, you can, your lands can be very, very powerful parts of your deck because there's really no way in, in, in the game to prevent somebody from playing lands. So everyone gets to play them, and you if you can profit off the playing of lands, then you're going to be well ahead of the game. So we're going to explore this idea a little bit more uh, as, as the show goes on there, audience. But yeah, it's it's actually, I'm really excited for this one. Um, despite the fact that it sounds like it should be boring and kind of dull, I, I think it's something that's actually going to be really important, and uh, hopefully our audience uh, listens to it and takes it on board and... Um, you know, we have we have a good conversation about it tonight, so I'm pretty excited. Sure, let's get after it. Let's get let's after. Go. So, some housekeeping first, folks. Folks, if you like what you hear here on the show every week, you can always go find all of our back episodes on thelotuscouncil.com. That is our home on the internet. You can find us each and every week there, and it is free of charge to go find and listen to the episode. Um, so you, there's no paywall, and I don't think there ever will be because I just that's I believe. Uh, this sort of information should be available for, for players who want the, want that sort of information. Um, but the Lotus Council is also far more than just a place where you can get our podcast. Uh, it's a great community of uh, magic players who uh, love all aspects of magic, whether you talk about art, you talk about lore, you talk about gameplay, you talk about deck construction, you talk about trading or the finance or whatever. Every, all of its like, people, there's always somebody in there who's got an opinion and would love to engage in a conversation with that stuff. And they're all very, all very friendly. 
And the best part is it doesn't cost anything to, to join. So you can come and have a, meet a community full of great people to help you out on your journey through magic to help make it a little bit easier for you and uh, be part of a, a, thr a thriving and lively community of people um, who are well worth the time to, to, to stop in. Uh, so if you do, yeah, for sure. If you do, yeah, they... check, out the, check out the link in the show notes and come and join the LotusCouncil.com and tell them that the guys from the Epic Experiment podcast sent you. They'll yes. be very happy to talk to you. Very happy. They, they just did an auction. Um, they do auctions sometimes for cards in the last few sets. So, oh, yeah, there's a Teferi. Uh, check that there? out. Yeah, there's a Teferi Temporal Pilgrim. It's a nice little card. Um, not too expensive either. And uh, my, my one buddy won it for like $10, which is excellent, you know? Yeah, good price. And good then price. they, um, it's nice too. There's no Patreon or anything. Granted, like they have their own content, but. They want it to be accessible, which is good. I feel like uh, since the pandemic has started to shift slightly, we've seen more and more of these servers that have started to go very, very aggressively on the promotion side monetarily. So it's nice to see that there are some servers out there that keep it uh, accessible for everyone, uh, yeah. regardless of, you know, not everyone can afford to put down a few bucks a month. So uh, thanks for you guys for letting us be on your on you and promoting us as well and uh we'll get into this first segment yeah bruce um, yeah for sure so tonight our garbage are great we have two cards obviously we have a sneaky pete pick and we have a regular pick so let's talk about a regular our regular pick first uh, tonight's first pick is lunar frenzy so it's a red and x for an instant it says target creature you control gets plus x plus o and gains first strike and trample until end of turn so pete what do you think about this 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 card here is lunar frenzy I think, um, I mean, there's a few, a few cards out there that that'll love this card. You know, like uh, the targeting commanders where they, you know you target a creature, uh, Zad Zadra Hedron Grinder. You know the oh, yes. goblin copies yeah. everything. Mirror Wing Dragons, another creature that likes it in red, and Feather. Feather, feather of course, yeah. you could one shot someone with Feather with this card. Um, even even if you're not going for this sort of spell slinging strategy, it's it's a really nice little combat trick, you know? Yeah. You know, say say you have an evasive flyer or something, and you swing in for five, and you have five mana open, boom, that's, you know, ten, nine damage right there. So, so where where I like this is in Shuyun, Shuyun the Silent Tempest. Oh, yes. So yeah. you you can cast this, like, or you can, if you can, because it tends to play like a spell slinger deck uh, full of combat tricks and stuff. And then if you can activate the ability to give a double strike, so you, you know, you attack, you, <laughs> usually you have yeah. a way to give Shuyun um, unblockability, whether it's a, right. a, an instant like slip through, slip through space or um, something else that will, you, allows you to slip through un, unblocked. And then you right. can cast this, pump it up, give a double strike, and you could probably one-shot somebody with commander damage with it. Um, so yep. this is the sort of card that, like, and, and the fact that this is um, an upgrade off of Howl from Beyond, which is a card printed in the original sets of Magic in Revised and Unlimited and that sort of stuff as a black instant. So one, a black and X for just plus X plus O. But now they're giving you Trample and they're giving you First Strike, meaning that if you can fire this off, you're going to win combat almost sure fire. Um, the the fact that you can dump a whole lot of mana into this as a as a finisher on a on a card like if you make a lot of mana and 
like in one of the many ways you can produce very large sums of mana, you can now knock somebody out right out of the game with this never like no trouble at all. Um, right. And so I really liked the card. The only drawback, and as it's very common with combat tricks, is because you're limited in the amount of usages you're going to get out of it. Um, most decks, there are a few, but there are, most decks aren't going to be able to recur this to their hand. Like Feather, this would be ideal in a, in a Feather deck, right? Where you right. cast this, it gets exiled, return to your hand, away you go. Um, but lots of decks, are going. To, you're only going to get one shot out of this, so you better make that one shot count. Lots of commander decks are going to shy away from that sort of uh, combat trick in favor of something that has a more repeatable uh, application, which is a little disappointing, but understandable, to be, to be perfectly blunt. So, like, I also could imagine this in, in, in those a sort of, like, atypical commanders you see that get really large really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. like, Animar, uh, Korvald. It would be really funny if I saw someone play this against me in a Korvald deck. Because that thing is just always, like, 20 power, you know, yeah, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and even, like, cards like this that maybe you're not going to get them back, but maybe after you use it once, you're trying to use it for, like, an escape cost or other some sort of cost, like, a, mm -hmm. like a, something like that. So you actually need the cards in your graveyard to be able to do some sort of late game effect. Um, again, this is not a terrible card. I, I no. think... No. I think it's a, it's, I mean, it was, what was it? Did you play any uh, draft in this set in Midnight Hunt? I have played, because some, I have played some draft and I don't think I've ever seen it. not terrible. I've never seen this played against me, but um, it doesn't mean that's not a good card. It just so happens I have not seen it played very frequently. But I'm looking at some of the commanders that it can get played in. So Krenko, Tinstreet, Kingpin, this would be really mm -hmm. quite good there. Obviously, Lelia, the Blade Reforged, would be good there. Kalamax is another one that looks gets my gets my attention. Uh, Magus right. Lucia Kane, that's another one. So there's lots of sort of cool commanders that can play with one, and there's it's in more decks than I thought it would be. It's in 4,300 decks, so it's not a nothing card. Um, right. It's I guess you just again like we've been talking about, you got to got to put it in the right spot for it to to do work. Um, but at 25 cents, if you have one of these in your commander staples or your commander box of like things you want you use for deck construction i don't think you're going to go wrong and no, so uh, i think sure. i think it's probably a, a wise thing to you find it in a bulk bin somewhere just sort of quietly pocket it away put it in a little put it away and when you build one of these decks or one of these commanders that 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 play into it strategy wise uh you have the tool um and you can go and make use of it and and really cause some havoc for some people so yeah, just like like I think we're gonna talk about this uh, eventually, Bruce. Right? Is like the power of evergreen abilities in sort of like color shifted cards. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you could even pay zero if your commander or your big creature is evasive, like has menace or something. Yeah. Um, and maybe you don't want to use the mana. You could just pay one red and just give it first strike and trample mm -hmm. without the buff, which is still very relevant. So again, um, yeah, I think the next card actually fits into a potential way to use Lunar Frenzy to kill someone. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess the next card is um, one I just found like a few days ago out of Dissension. This is a set that didn't really have a lot of uh, lot of print print run. Um, I mean, I never see these cards in play rarely, like uh, from Ever. this from this from this set. So, 
I'll just read this to all of you because we, we, you know, it's not a very known card. It's only in 964 decks. Um, so it's an enchantment. It's an aura. It's two green and two colorless. Enchant permanent. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, so your first main phase, add mana equal to enchanted permanent's mana cost to your mana pool. Um, so this, the only restriction of this card is that you can only add one type of mana. So like there are cards out there that allow you to add uh, any combination of colors. Um, but this card is just one color. But the good thing about it is you put it on someone, you can put it on anything. You can put it on anybody's permanent. Yes. Um, as long as it is uh, impactful for you. So like I could play this on turn four. I could play this on turn 12. Um, and it would still do something. So the top, there's only 12 commanders, it seems, in ADH Rec that run this card um, and in several different color combinations. So the most notable that I was looking at was Crufix God of Horizons, which cares about putting mana into things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's even Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief, which is really cool because you, t- oh. you target uh, another creature and you target her. So say you target one of your five mana blue evasive creatures and you target her, that means you get extra mana. Um, it's in Arithmacy's Slumbering Isle, mm-hmm. which makes sense because he is a four mana 12-12 and he wants to cast really big creatures. Um, and finally, this is really cool. Um, they have it in your lock of Scorched Thrash, which is that uh, mana burn commander. Yeah. So like you put it on somebody's uh, permanent... Um, or you put it on your permanent or whatever, and you want to cast really big threats, um, it'll ramp you out. Another, the other commanders that ha- that I've seen are like Enchantress builds, which are sort of like all-in-one. Basically, they're drawing a card off of it, right? Yeah. And they want to ramp into something big or something impactful. That's an enchantment. That's why they're playing this card. So the other thing I considered with this that I had not thought about until now um, was you could definitely use this card as like a weird sort of ramp for decks that need it, like a John Reanimator list, for example. Yeah. Say you like sack it for something and you play it later in a game, or you play like um, Moldrotha, you know, and you need the Ooh, ramp to ramp yeah. into something else. You can play. You can play it out of your graveyard. Um, and I don't think many people are gonna, unless they realize like, like you're using it for ramp at like impactfully, like. Uh, most people can't respond to it, I'd say, in more casual games. Right, yeah. um, and I don't think anyone's going to use a Croson grip or targeted removal on this enchantment, unless like it was something that puts you so far ahead of the game that they'd have to do something about right. it. Right. Yeah, I know. I, 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 you know, having looked at this card, like I, my first initial reaction was like, hmm, like where would I put this? And like my, like level one thinking is you put it on like your your 2-2 or your 3-3 creature or whatever is as a way to help you ramp out bigger threats. But the fact, the more that you read it, like the more like you, like the fact you can target anything, you can target your opponent's <laughs> stuff. So if your yes. opponent has a, a high value, you know, thing, like a board, chromatic ori. Yeah. Or like a, like a big mana rock that's, that costs a lot. Or yeah. maybe they're playing a, a big creature that has like, uh, like it's like a Galta, or they are playing like oh, an indestructible. Wow. An indestructible enchantment is a perfect example. Yeah. So, like a god, if well, they're playing like uh, Xenagos or something, you put it on that, it's probably not going to get removed anytime soon. Yeah. So, you can you now have this sort of humongous ramp payoff that can enable you to do all sorts of cr- cool things. 
Um, I like the I like the interaction with the gods that are indestructible. So any of the Theros ones are ideal. Um, I really do like the one of like, Crufix because it makes a lot of mana. If you have no way to use it, you can then put it, dump it into um, into uh, Crufix's ability and save it sort of for later for when you want to go and do something even larger. So I, I like the card. Um, as with anything, um, any of these uh, cards, the drawback here, folks, it's still an it's still an aura, and auras are. Right. By default, setting yourself up for potential two two for one. Uh, this one has ways to mitigate it, but you know it's not. You, you, if you choose to put it on one of your things, you're setting yourself up for a potential two for one. So be mindful of that. Four mana is also starting to get into the realm of being expensive for things because you're looking to impact the battle, impact the battlefield more and more. Once you get beyond, I'd say three mana, most of what you want should be hitting the battlefield again not the end of the world particularly if you've got big dreams of doing wild big things but there are there are limits to the to this, the applicability of this card it doesn't just go all over the place willy-nilly but it's see it's a really interesting really neat card that if you were to play it you're going to get your your opponent's attention very quickly but it also scratches that itch and i think we sort of alluded to it before on the show is that it's it's a it's something that's not going to likely provoke a huge response from your opponents um, until it's enabled you to do something crazy, and then they're going to go, "Oh, I should have got rid of the mana ramp," and then by then, hopefully, it's too late. But you know, like lots of times, players will respond to things that they perceive to be increasingly threatening, and this may not register on their threat assessment meter yet and could allow you to do some really broken things if you have enchanted something that has got a high high mana value and can churn you out a whole lot of mana a commander i was surprised that doesn't make the list for this is zakara the one that makes the hydras every time you cast an x spell yeah because because it has the colors to protect the card as well it has the blue it has the black um for tutoring and all that's that stuff yeah um but then i mean every time i've played a zakara list against one it's always the same it's always generate a very big amount of mana play a big x spell win the game yeah um and i know bruce don't you still do you still have yours built i don't i've never had a zakara deck okay i'm getting confused then with the um because you had the win condition, the villainous wealth win condition in your oh, own deck. So I do have um, a. I, so my villainous wealth deck is uh, it is a Sultai deck. It is, but it, at its helm is Sadisi. Um, I'm looking to to mill my my lands into my graveyard and then pull them back out, and then use that to power up my uh, my my villainous wealth, uh, rather than the Zexara commander, um, where which is just simply simply like ramping out it ramps itself but yeah. anyway not to get off topic i was just like sh- shocked that out of the commanders i've seen in this edh rec page that it wasn't there yeah but, um, but i mean i think i think mag mag uh, magus lucia kane like sort of matches up with that sure. same sort of commander because it's a big oh it's a big sink deck big sink deck and it's a kitchen sink deck yeah, yeah. so anyway cool very cool card um definitely people something should be 
people should be looking out for something interesting to do and add to their list. And I think that was going to um, make your, your next uh, time out playing far more interesting if you have some interesting cards like a elemental, what is this called? Elemental uh, Resonance. It's a cool card. Never even seen it before. That is wild. Huh. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Hey, thank you. So let's talk about our mana bases because lands are so important, aren't they, Pete? Yeah, so when I first started playing the game, I remember one of the older guys who had played longer than I had. I would always ask him, because he would always build really interesting out-of-the-box deck ideas. Um, and I was like, hey, uh, how, do you, like, how do you build your deck? And he goes, well, I always invest in the land base first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he meant by that is like I always think about that first before I build my decks. Like, if my deck wants to do X, Y, Z, I don't start with the win condition per se. I start with everything that can lead me to that win condition. So lands will eventually lead you to that win condition, hopefully, right? Um, and then investing in lands is always, honestly, a uh, smart decision in terms of, like, financially. Um, they'll, they'll always sort of stay at a decent price, um, depending on your budget, of course. <laughs> And they're always playable. They'll always be playable. Yeah. Yeah, Not yeah. many lands are banned in command. I don't think there are many. I don't think there are any lands that are banned in commander mm, off the top of my head. No, I I can't think of any mana producing land that is banned in commander. So even even the most broken ones that we can think of, which is like Gaia's Cradle and Sarah Sanctum, which are thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, there's a reason for that, you know, that that they put you so far ahead that you'll win the game. Um, but like, I don't know. I I. I was one of those people that started out cutting lands aggressively, and now I'm starting to add lands back in. Oh, there's one, there's one cutting. There's one banned land. Oh yeah, what is it? Caracas. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> now that you mentioned, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, Caracas, right? Oh, that's right, that's right, Caracas. But we we should talk about the banned list one of these days, Bruce. But anyway, you know, lands are like just subtly the way, like. I've I've done it. Mother, many people have done it. Where they might take a land, a, a hand without the colors they need, and, mm. and you can't play for a while. You yeah. know, Bruce. I'm I'm sorry, but I've seen you do this many times. <laughs> um, I there's uh, there are games where I can recall where I have, um, a particular. I, I'm notorious for a three color deck, and then I open up and I will have like two forests and a mountain, and I, and I really need that blue source, and I don't have it. And I'm like, I'll draw it, and then I never do. And I'm like, ah. And sure enough, I'm skunked, right? Because I can't, I don't have access to my my counter magic, or I don't, I can, I can never land my commander, or what have you, right? And I'm, uh, so yes, mana bases are super important, um, audience. And if you're out there and you're looking for something, to, and you're not sure what to pick up, like go and spend the the money you need to pick up the the mana base you need to have. So. I'm going to be honest with you folks, as someone who's played the game for 10 years, I still make a point of when there are cool, like, important land cycles that come out. And, and the last one I thought was really important was... All of Heliod's generosity. Well, that one, but I, I was thinking actually for, like as a cycle, the, the lands from um, the Vow, uh, Midnight Hunt and Crimson... No, Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow. Yeah, those are the ones. Like where the color wants. Yeah, where they they cut where if you have more than if you have two or more lands already in play, they come into play untapped. Because in Commander, they're almost always untapped lands. And and I made a point of of, of scooping up a bunch of them when they were more affordable. Um, I still think they're reasonably affordable now, but 
usually as these things cycle through standard, um, the prices start to creep up, particularly in year two of standard. Um, but the, the MDFCs from Zendikar Rising was another one that I, that got a lot of my attention. Um, these are, these are, these are undeniably just good lands and I invest in them to, to pick them up. The other nice thing right now is that these are, if you're going to spend your money, spend it wisely, like picking up fetch lands right now is actually really affordable. Mm -hmm. Like I was looking the other day and I'm pretty sure Scalding Tarn's still a $20 bill. Like. Sure, $20 bill is expensive. I mean, we're, we're talking about decks that cost, you know, $150. That's sort of what we sort of brew here on the show. But, I mean, if you can, if you can hold off on splurging on a couple, on, on, some, on some budget picks and, or, or not have coffee for the week or whatever and spend that money on a fetch land, you're going to get a lot of play out of them um, and be able to use them in pretty much every deck you ever build. To great effect, right? So, like, invest. Yeah. In, sort of like managing your pocketbook, your wallet, um, and and helping you to build the best deck you can build. Like, spend the time and energy to invest in or check out the lands that you're going to need in order to continue to build and enjoy the game. Yeah, I mean, even even online, like uh, MTG Arena, right? Yeah. A lot of these top standard decks run uh, the the cycling. Try lands in their in their lists, um, or they'll run dual lands or whatever. Yeah. Um, I remember I was watching a YouTuber draft uh, Kamigawa like a year ago, and he would pick up every dual land he found. And this dude ended up going like number one in the mythic rank for, mm. which is like very impressive. But the point of it is like lands lands are underrated pieces that can help you get to your win condition faster than your opponents or stop people from getting to theirs because you can play the cards in your hand. I would rather play a $20 land than play a $20 removal spell if I never get to play that removal spell. Right. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, because, like, creatures, uh, removal spells, uh, enchantments, artifacts, all of them can be replaced with something cheaper. Let's be real. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not going to be effective as much as probably that, like, $60 mythic card, right? But... Lands are irreplaceable, you know what I mean, in terms of the fixing and how to get there. Well, so. I mean, I was, I, I was actually, I had a number of players over to my house last night to play, and uh, the conversation at one point came to, you know, what would you rather spend, invest your money in? And somebody said, I'd rather invest it in mana, because that, 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 expense, that expensive removal spell, I can probably get a comparable effect for an extra mana. Indeed. But... I can't replace the impact that that land has on the quality of my game because if I can't cast my spells, it doesn't matter anymore. So, two things that bothered me so much when I started playing, right, was I had did not have the right color fixing, mm-hmm. and I was I was like hell bent, or like I didn't have enough cards in my hand um, to e- to even like draw into the land that could yeah. potentially help me play a spell. Um, and I know like we're gonna talk a lot about this tonight, just like. There, like lands, there's no, there are lands that are worse than others objectively, but each land can be used in some way. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like I, I hate bounce lands personally. Oh, um, yeah. I put that in our show notes. I hate some tap lands. Some tap lands I will run because I think they are worth it, and we'll talk about this very soon. Yes. Um, but I mean, I've started cutting non-basic lands for basic lands, Bruce. Yeah. Especially with some of the people I've started to play with. Like uh, at LGSs and in and online, 
um, a lot of people are now running more stacks like effects because they realize the impact it can have on people. So, yeah. uh, and a lot of these five color lists will will do that, right? They'll run a lot of really powerful mana fixing lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once they get to that win condition, you're just you're just out of luck. I am so, for sure. Um, so let's get into this a little bit. So the, the first discussion that when you're looking at your mana base audience is whether you want to play lands that are tapped or untapped. And so in most cases, um, we want to play lands that come into play untapped if at all possible. Would you agree, uh, Piet? Would you agree? Yeah. Um, I mean, commanders, it's not necessarily as fast as standard or modern, but like every turn is still impactful. Yeah. Um, and so slowing yourself down with a tap land is usually not great. Yeah. And, and we're getting better and better options all the time there, audience. So if you were looking to play lands that come into play untapped, like I said, the MDFCs from Zendikar Rising were great tools. Um, the, the, I guess they're called them the slow lands from, um, from Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt that come into play when you have, uh, when they're the third, they're your third land. Your, the fast lands from, well, Phyrexia and, uh, and Kaladesh. Those, all these things that often can come into play untapped are really quite good if you're going to play or and of course basics like basics are because they always come into play untapped if you're going to reach for a tapped land you need to seriously ask yourself why and in some cases if you're playing on a budget and you need the fixing and you're like you can't afford you know the 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 mdsc because it's eight or nine dollars and you can all you can afford is is a is a 50 cent land okay like we get that everyone was there once um, and you, maybe you yep. start that way and you have that tap land as a placeholder until you can upgrade it into something that you would want to, that you want to play that's, that does come into play untapped. And the nice part, they're, they're printing more and more of these untapped lands all the time. Like pain lands just got reprinted. Um, right. like there's these, these come, these are coming in all sorts of shapes and forms. Um, but there are other tap lands that do matter. Um, so for instance, there are decks out there that play, that are looking to capitalize on gates. Well, if that's the case, then you're looking to maximize gates in your deck. Okay, fine. You're, you're, but that leans into your strategy. There's also artifact decks that, that I might look into playing two color artifact lands out of Modern Horizons 2, I believe. Like, right. Which are, again, they're tap lands, but you're playing them with an intent, with an intention and a purpose um, to try and fat, like move forward uh, uh, another another aspect of your game plan. Um, what I would probably shy away from is there's a whole cycle of like lands that's just coming to play tapped for no value like, and don't give you any additional value. Um, like submerged boneyard right. and things like that. Like that cycle. Like I tranquil expanse is another one. I think. Like I would just be looking. Like those would go aside. Those were intended. To be used in limited, um, not as serious contenders for your commander decks, unless, like we said before, you really need to go that route for budgetary reasons to make your deck go until you can upgrade your mana base into playing something that is going to allow you to play a more untapped lands. Yeah, so like one of my little like rules of thumb, again, this is not like take this with a grain of salt, but. Uh, grain of salt. Uh, um, so one of the rule of thumbs that I've learned just from playing for a while is asking this question as to are you able to take a turn off or, or not when curving out 
Um, in like a deck with green or access to fast ramp packages, for example, mana rocks, treasure production, etc., or a low curve in general, like an average of three or under, can't afford to play these tap lands because uh, it doesn't really affect them that much. Otherwise, cutting a Boros Garrison, I said, for a basic land is always a fine choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. And then looking at the pips of cards played as a conditional deck choice. If your deck runs at most one pip of a color, a tap land is fine, but if it's two or more, or if like 20% or more of the deck is uh, have the, has these multiple pips, then it's probably best to just want the untapped lands in a game. Yeah. Again, I'm not a statistics professional guy. Like, I uh, I've done a little bit of that stuff for for like university, but I would say that like if you can like do the math, and it's nice because like Moxfield will help you with that. Yeah. It, it, you can you can definitely get away with figuring out the exact probability of you drawing this untapped basic that would get you to the colors you need. But yeah. anyway. As I digress. Well, I think I think like this is a good point to talk about the Karoo lands because they show up in almost every precon that ever gets pumped out, right? So, and so they're right. they're they're every player who has a precon has probably had to confront the issue of a Karoo land, which is a tap land, but it comes. But when you can access it, it sort of makes up for the fact that you've had to take a turn off potentially by playing by allowing you to tap for two mana, and. Um, I would just be very careful about like including these sorts of Karoo lands or other two mana producing lands like Temple of the False Gods or whatever because oftentimes oh you hate uh, it yeah I hate <laughs> I hate Temple of the False Gods it's a, such a it's to me it's such a trap but the but the Karoo lands the bounce lands are also a trap the number of times that I've watched people play like they'll play out a planes turn one and then they draw a card and then they have no follow up play and so they play a bounce land turn two, have to pick up the planes, right. and then and then they... Pitch, pitch a card at their end step, which is just terrible. Yeah, it's just terrible management of your and, resources, and it happens all the time. And they're like... And how is that, honestly, in a vacuum, how is that extra mana really going to help you impact it when you already had to pitch a, a card? And, like, if you've kept one land uh, in your hand and then drew that bounce land, do you really think you'll be able to play anything in your deck? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like until turn six or seven. So, so again, I, I don't no, know. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think so. People need to be very aware that these things appear in your decks, and in some instances, like there are decks that, that want to utilize them, um, because I know a lot of those crew lands. There, if you can make multiple land drops in a turn with your Azusa or your Oracle of Moldiah or whatever, you can like you can sort of get around the drawback. And so, in which case, they're not all inherently bad. But if you're just, you know, general run-of-the-mill, you're not running a ramp package looking to, to vomit out a pile of lands with your burgeoning or your whatever, or your exploration, you're going to have to be conscious of the fact that you could get caught. And is it worth it? And if you should, whether you should be exactly what Pete suggested earlier, cut the crew land in favor of another basic, um, knowing that you're never going to get hated out or caught in a in a spot playing with too many basics. That's not a, that's not a thing. If you're not playing like blue, green, um, or even I guess white now, because white has a lot of the catch up abilities. Yeah. Honestly, just don't just run something else, yeah. run a myriad landscape, run, um, a sat, like a maestro's theater, you know, run like that cycle yeah, or run, something. Run, if run, you're going to run, run, run evolving wilds, just do that. Run an evolving wilds, terramorphic expanse. You know, like just just do that because the bounce land will just 
hurt more gonna, than it'll help. You're going to get caught eventually. Okay. Let's talk about next the inclusion of basics. Uh, I know we just spent a lot of time talking about basics, and what, but what's the advantage to playing a basic over... Uh, Do you want me to answer that question? Because it. it's happened yeah, sure. to me before. I had, I had, so when I played in college, I would have uh, people in, in my play group that wanted to be the most spiteful uh, players. Oh. So they would, they, would, they would play all of the hate pieces, right? They would play the stuff that makes things come and tap, like Winter Orbs. They would play Blood Moon. They would play things that impact mana bases, right? Yeah. So you had to be efficient, and you had to be smart about playing basic lands versus unbasic like, uh, uh, lands. Because if you got stuck with that Blood Moon and you had a multicolored deck, uh, there's not much you can do about that. And um, a lot of uh, more, I'd say, more people are being more savvy, so they'll put in, like, we're going to talk about this in our next segment, is, like, utility lands. Mm. Um and they'll they'll play things that will wipe a non-basic land off the board. Yes. Um, so, again, I think, I think just like you don't want to flood out. Of course, you don't want to like just draw all of the basic lands the entire game. But, um, you know, I think it's it's good. It's a safe bet to to run the basics. Yeah, and uh, yeah, oh. and like Pete said, essentially, there's no avenue in the game to hate out basic lands. So you'll always be able to utilize them. And if you have them, whether they blood moon you or whatever, you should be fine to still use your basics. Whereas on basic lands, well, now you're in kind of, you're kind of up, up a creek. So um, they are, I know they're not exciting. People never, no one's ever excited. Like, I put another forest in my deck. Yes, but at forest, maybe what you need to make sure you don't get blood mooned into oblivion by your opponents. So... Now, we haven't talked about land destruction yet, and that's not for tonight's show, because if somebody casts right. choke or boil or some of that, then you're gonna, people cry, but, you know, that's another matter altogether. All right, utility lands. Um, utility lands, oh, I love, I love utility lands. They're so good. If you look on EDH Rec, there's a whole page on utility lands, and I love so many of these cards. These are great cards. But, as I will say, you know, but Pete and I are going to both echo here. You have a balancing act that you need to be doing at all times when you're looking at your utility lands. And, um... I have one deck. I have one deck that allows me to run a lot of the colorless lands yeah. um, because of the fact that one of the wind conditions cares about it. But that's because I've literally crafted the mana base in such a way that I always have the three colors I need, and I have the colorless mana that I need as well. Yeah. So, um, again, I think we've talked about this before. You don't want to screw yourself no. over. You know? So, essentially, the more colors requirements you have in your deck, the less likely you're going to be able to play a lot of utility lands, because many utility lands don't tap for a color. There are a few, don't, don't get me wrong, um, but you, they, usually, they usually only tap for a single color. Um, so, for instance, the number one utility land on this list is Bajuka Bog, which is a fantastic card. And if you aren't playing Bajuka Bog, you should be playing it because it's it taps for black. So, if you're a deck that needs needs black mana, it meets that requirement. But it also provides you with a spell like effect that is very potent. Uh, how many times, Pete, have you played Bajuka Bog on somebody with a graveyard deck and just watched their face just sink as they realize that all their work to stock that graveyard has now been sunk? 
I'll be honest with you, if they're really far ahead, I feel really good about it, even if I'm not going to win the game, because they got really greedy. It's happened to me a lot, too, because I love playing with my graveyard. We should talk about that in a future episode, yeah. Bruce, but um, I love, I literally every deck I run has some sort of graveyard recursion. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I mean, I love, Bruce, I love Utility Lands. I, I wrote a fat list down in our show notes of, like, lands that do something. Um, one of my favorites to run in, in every single white deck, pretty much, is Hall of Helia Generosity. Oh. Uh, it's, it's puts the enchantment back on top of the library. Um, there's older lands that are more expensive that do interesting things. There's very cheap ones. Um, there's a few, Bruce, I want to talk to you about that I, I want to just tell you, because they're not that common. Um, there's uh, Winding Canyons, which is... Uh, and it's an $18 land, but for good reason. It's colorless, but it taps for colorless. And then its second ability is pay two and tap it, and you can cast creature spells as if they had flash. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, that one, yeah, yeah. So it's really nasty. Um, Rista Cave is really funny. It's 25 cents, so this is completely opposite. It's choose a color, add one mana of that color to your mana pool unless any payer pays one, and you, can, and you, um, you play it as an instant. So it's interesting because... In certain decks that need three colors, you can play this. I don't think many people are going to pay the one anyway. So, again, it's a nice budget utility land. Um, Safe Haven is another one. You pay two. It's, it's, again, it doesn't have for any mana. It's a utility oh. land. Um, pay two, exile a creature you control. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you can sacrifice Safe Haven. If you do, return each card exile with it to the battlefield under its owner's control. So if you care about, like, ETB effects... It's a cute little budget option to do something. Um, and then the last one that I wanted to cover is Ice Flow. It's from Ice Age. You may choose not to untap Ice Flow during your untap step. Tap target creature without flying that's attacking you. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as you control Ice Flow. So again, uh, interesting little ways uh, to like utilize oh, yeah. these lands. No, for sure. But, but, but you're going to want... Some of these don't tap for mana at all, so you either want to allow them to tap for mana with some of these lands that make them forests in addition to their under types, you know, like Yavamaya or Urborg, which makes them swamps, um, or you're going to have to find a way to have the extra mana to be able to use this without getting punished. Yeah, I've definitely done this with Maze of Ith before, oh, yeah. where I <laughs> thought I had six mana. You don't. I thought I had six mana, but I was like, oh, I don't, because Maze of Ith does not tap for anything. Yeah. Except to tap down a creature and remove it from combat. So, again, um, it's just, I think it comes with just time, you know, uh, feeling out what your deck needs to be doing to be able to win and what lands are appropriate to play and how many lands we should play. Because um, we're going to get to that in a second, too. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, if you haven't checked out the list of, of uh, utility lands on EDH Rack, I do encourage you to go check it out. There are a whole bunch of really neat ones that are out there that you can play. Um, we, that we haven't even talked about yet here too. So, um, we're, we're not claiming to be uh, exhaustive resources on the thing, but we do know that they are powerful. Um, I will, for my, for my own end, the number of times that I've seen Rogue's Passage, uh, absolutely end the game because it allows someone to slip their commander through unblocked turn after turn after turn is, uh, is, a, is, a, is real. It's legitimate. It's a thing. Like, and so yeah, these lands are these lands are potent. Uh, just be sure that your deck construction is going to allow you to make use of them, um, so that you have you know mana to cast your spells, but also the utility lands you need. 
Um, and yes, Maze of, Maze of Myth and lands that don't produce land. <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, so I got caught with a Maze of Myth once, but there's another one I remember. It's called Arena. Arena yes. is that, that well, Arena has a, I believe it's a fight mechanic. So three in a tap, it target does. creature you control, a target creature uh, uh, of an opponent's choice he or she controls. Uh, each of those creatures deal damage to each other. So it's like a fight spell effectively. And it doesn't tap for mana. So you get caught with this land, but it doesn't do land things. It makes them fight. Anyway. All right. Yeah, I've done it. Sorry, real quick, just to be on the sure. subject of, of like lands with drawbacks. Um, two of my favorite lands to play in decks that need the ramp are Lotus Veil and Scorch Ruins. Yeah. So these are very old lands, but they're very mm-hmm. good. Um, Scorch Ruins says when it enters, you sac two, sacrifice two untapped lands. Um, if you do, it comes into play untapped, and you can tap it for four colorless Ooh. mana, which is crazy good. And then the other one is Lotus Veil. There's Lotus Field, which comes in tapped. Um, but Lotus Veil and Lotus uh, Field do the same thing. Basically, they come in, you sack two lands when they enter, or you sack the land when it comes in. So I've gotten to the point where it's like, I can never play that land on turn three or four because I'll always be behind. Um, I have to wait to play the land or not play it at all in the game because you sack two, t- two untapped lands to be able to play this land that taps for three mana. So you're basically adding one. If you don't, if you miss another land drop, you basically went down yeah. in in your right. resources. So, yeah, it's just being mindful, I guess. Like, honestly, I would not recommend to to run these lands unless you're absolutely certain you can get the lands back from your graveyard, or you don't care about losing those two uh, resources. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a balancing act. I think if that's a theme for tonight. Yeah. It's it's always a balancing act. Particularly with, with the, these, particularly with the utility lands, it is very much a balancing act. Now, let's move on to talking about the number of lands in your deck. And the number is going to fluctuate based on power level of your deck. Um, if you're playing CDH lists, like you're, ta- you're looking at 26, 27, 28 30. lands. Um, if you're looking for more casual games where our mana curve tends to be much higher... Uh, we're not nearly as streamlined and brutally efficient as uh, a CDH player. Our, our deck goes up, and I would say, for me, I think I start all my decks with 36 lands. I'm not sure what your guideline is for anyone there, Pete, but I start at 36. Yeah, um, I think 36, 36 is a nice round number. Um, I, guess, I guess it really depends before you decide. It's like, what does your deck do? And like... Does it need the extra um, lands, or does it? Is it is it like really small in its curve, or does it run a ton of mana rocks? Um, I would say never go down below like thirty two, thirty three. But like when you're running thirty three lands, that means you're running a ton of like mana ramp yeah. anyway. So like I don't know. It's I guess it's trial and error really. I don't I don't think there's really a definitive answer I can give you at yeah, this point. I, I I just sort of create guidelines for myself. So when I'm building my decks, I don't end up in the situation where I put 30 land in and then find myself unable to play. Um, so just be careful there, audience. Like, make sure you put enough land in your deck. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, being responsible in your mana base. Like, don't cut the corner and say, oh, I'll take out a land and put in this cool card. 
because invariably it's going to come back and haunt you where you're going to get stuck in one of these games. Now, on the flip side, there's going to be nights where you draw, you flood out, you draw a whole pile of land, and you don't really draw a lot of action. That's variance. I can't fix that. But at least if you were to draw a spell at the top of your deck, you could play it. And, you know, at that point, you're, just hap- you're, you're praying for any gas rather than, please, please, please help me find a land so I can cast my four drop. That's a bad feeling, right? If you're sitting there on seven, eight, nine lands and you're like, you've only played a few minor things, you haven't really impacted the board a lot, but you could. You rip something cool off the top of your deck, you're right back in the game. But if you're stuck on three land and you've got a four drop, a bunch of four drops in your hand, you're like, oh man, I hope I draw a land. Then you go and it's a gate and it's tapped and you go, I feel sad now. Big sadness goes on the stack. It resolves and you cry. So, yeah, so like mitigating that is obviously fixing efficiently with fetches or myriad landscape, Croson Verge type effects, Terramorphic, whatever. Um, or just like, I don't know, I feel like some people rush to play lands out when you can hold them in hand sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I never play, some people will play fetch lands on turn one. I usually play them on turn four or five. Then when it's the last land in my hand, because after that, um, normally I need to shuffle my deck for something, because I've drawn a a bunch of actions. So, I mean, same with Soul Ring. People play Soul Ring on turn one, and I'm like, why? Like, you're just telegraphing people that you're ahead. Um, I'd rather be more subtle with it. But that's I, just I'll, I'll push back um, on that notion and like, <laughs> on the notion of why not the sawing. I like the fetch land advice is actually really quite interesting. You're probably right. You should play with the other lands first because if you have a if you have a fetch, you can almost assuredly go find something and bring it into play that is untapped. Um, so you can so you there's no reason to run it out in turn one unless you're going to go get a shock land because you need to start your even yeah, then, but. Even then, I don't do it. Like, I don't do it because I know that... I guess I just... I feel out like the game itself, but every time I've done that early on, it's hurt yeah. me because it's it shuffled away things that I yeah. needed. Um, I don't know. Again, I can't control variants, but it's worked out for me I so think, far. I think, I think that's actually really good <laughs> advice. The Sol Ring, the Sol Ring, you play it out early because you're looking to help you accelerate into bigger, more powerful spells. And I appreciate... It also puts a bullseye on your back, which could really be a detriment to your to to setting up. You think it'll haunt me? You think it'll haunt me when we play again? Okay. I I I I, 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 I would push back against the notion <laughs> that you don't want to run the saw ring out turn one. I, I can make a I could make a case for it if like, if you don't have a, a a good way to utilize it in, right off the hop, then yeah. We'll talk about yeah, it another sure. episode, all right? <laughs> we'll debate this some other time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's yeah. talk about triggering lands, and uh, most notably, this is mm-hmm. this is where landfall comes into play, which is generally on cards from Zendikar block cards, like so Zendikar, uh, Zendikar Rising, and Zendikar Battle for Zendikar, which is the three the three blocks where we visited Zendikar. Landfall is an ability where if you play a land, something good happens to all your creatures that have landfall. Usually they get bigger, sometimes they get extra abilities, sometimes something else happens. Um, and really a very powerful mechanic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, 
I used to play several lands fall decks when I started. Like, I played Titania, which was in mono green, sacrificing lands, bringing them back. I played the the, the green red uh, Omnath. Oban, um, any Om any Omnath they, card out there has it pretty well. Um, Oban, yeah, the the Oban uh, Oban is another one. Um, there's a whole bunch of landfall cards. Grace. Uh, the John John. Yeah, Grace J- yeah, all, yeah, all well. the John Wingrace stuff. Simic, Simic with Slow the oh. various additional. Oh, a- a- AC and Tetiova, yeah. AC, yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's very powerful, especially because a lot of people don't play this land destruction uh, uh, meta style. Yes, like, and this that's. You know, it's not, it's almost frowned upon in casual pods. So yes, I don't know. It's well, difficult. This is this is this is a drawback because many times um, people shy away from just using any sort of way to interact with mana bases, um, and so consequently, decks that are landfall based decks pretty much get carte blanche to do whatever they please, and it it's a huge problem, isn't it? Like, like. If if thing if there's a, a landfall deck running around the meta, then you need to like you and you're not responding to what it's doing to generate value, you're just letting them run away on you. And it's one of my problems. It's really frustrating yeah. too. Like sitting there watching people like literally churn lands out of their deck and it just you can't yeah. do anything about it. Um and if you do, you're labeled like, okay, oh you're just what, why did why did why did you do this to me? Like, just, you know, I'm or just like making uh, land drops, and you're like, yeah, but every time you make a land drop, I die. Like that that four color Omnath is the worst right. offender, worst offender Terrible. for it. Four color Omnath. If you haven't seen their audience, it just the deck is premised on making land drops as many of them as you can. Then you blink your Omnath, bring it back, do it again because now it's a new new article, and then just and you essentially burn the table down around you making a million mana and casting dumb things and like, i feel it's a pretty egregious offender for not getting punished by land destruction and because it's playing through a through a, a loophole in a social contract of commander players to not blow up a butt ton of lands and it kind of infuriates me to some degree um not to say that i love playing with land destruction but if I'm seeing a, an, an Omnath deck sit down across the table from me, I'm pretty okay with someone plays Follow the Thran or whatever other nonsense is going on to try and keep that deck in check. That's really the only way you can do it. <coughs> so, don't love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. You know, it's, it's just hard to yeah. like... If it happens every time, because it's, it's rather consistent. Even if you build a more budget-friendly version of it, it'll always do... Yeah. The thing. Do you do you have a four color Omnath deck? Hell no. Excuse my <laughs> okay. language. But, I've got uh, one, and I like, I just I don't want to play it because I'm like this is this is not exciting. This is just this is. This is... I've built them for other people before, um, but uh, I and I just can't. Like, I have I the same experience with with Maha or Maya, depending on how you pronounce her name. The, she's a green white legend from Call Time. Yeah. She makes yeah, soldiers, she makes warriors, right? And then, she, and then the deck like poops out soldiers, poop, 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 little, little one ones everywhere. And then you like you know what's coming. It's hoof time, and the game's ends. It's like, oh, well, that's disappointing. And then, yeah, that's how it goes. So, 
Anyway, lands, very powerful, because there's really little, there are very few ways to punish people making land drops. You can't stop them from doing it. We don't play a lot of removal in our decks, and so consequently landfall decks can run pretty much rampant all over the all over the place. So, just saying, if you're getting into a meta and people start playing landfall decks, you have Pete and our and my blessing to go run that Armageddon you have in that binder from a long, long time ago and make them cry. Yeah. So, so I, I guess the other the, the next two sections or next three parts are related. It's like triggering lands, but it's triggering them in a different way. So. Sacrificing lands for value, constant mist. I've I've definitely frustrated Bruce with the constant mm-hmm. mist before, many mm-hmm. times. Um, you know, <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. you, you can't see me nodding my head here, but I'm like, yes, yeah. that's happened to me. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the other cards on our tiny list here, like they they sack lands to do something, like Elvish Reclaimer tutors a land to the group battlefield. Zeron Orb sacks a land for life gain. Um, and here is Lithoform lets you draw cards in red by sacking lands, which is really cool. Escape Shift um, also is a very famous one where you sack a bunch of lands and tutor a bunch of lands from your deck to play, yeah. which is very powerful. Um, at one point, Gitrog was one of the best uh, competitive deck lists out there because it was so hard to respond to on the stack with all of its delving and... or uh, Not delve. Um, like... Uh, what's, the, what's the word? Dredging, I'm sorry. Yes, dredging. Whereas like... They would put lands into their graveyard from their library and draw extra cards and stuff. Yeah. So it was very powerful. Um, playing them from your graveyard is super un- uh, like un- underrated, especially in green. Um, and the Crucible of Worlds for, is like a $30 card because it's an artifact that does it. So in any deck, it's, yeah. you have access this, to it. This, this strategy um, here is very powerful like right. to go in the mass or like getting things back. But lands, lands, lands like... If you're recurring a Bajuka Bog multiple games, you know, or like if you're recurring um like the Glacial Chasm, for example, I've done that to Bruce before, where Glacial Chasm has an upkeep cost, I have to pay life for it, and it says creatures can't attack you, and all damage dealt to you is reduced to nothing. So basically you're unkillable by damage. <laughs> yeah. And then you stack it, and then you play it for your land each turn, so no one can kill you. Um so very frustrating, again. Uh, there's not much else you can say, I guess, uh, besides that it will give you that massive yeah. advantage, similarly to landfall strategies. So, and returning lands to hand, very similar. Tameshi is a very famous newer example. There was some old blue cards that did it, where you would draw cards from it. Uh, Trade Roots is another really cool card out there, where you can pay one, return a land to your hand, uh, discard a land, draw a card, similar sort of situation. Um yeah, I mean, Bruce, is there really much else we can say no, at this and, point? And, all, and, all, these, and all these ones go together, their audience. Like, you trigger landfall. Like, lots of landfall decks are premised on these sorts of concepts. Like, you play the lands to get value. Then you sack them for more value. Then you get them back from the graveyard for yet more value. And if you can't, get, if you can't put them to your yard, they're just as good to pick them up and play them again. So th- these, all these are all linked. And they're very difficult to, to derail. Once somebody gets on the game plan of doing this, where lands get sacked, then they get brought back for for value for days. There's really very little way to derail them completely. So, just, yeah. So, yeah, I was just going to say, this leads into our next, our final segment with the deck building 
the deck that, yeah. that we we're going to be talking about, it's um it's kind of breaking that store sort of stereotype because a lot of landfall decks are in green, mm. especially because green has all of that super powerful ability, right? They got the really be- the best landfall abilities. They have the best sacrifice land abilities and play them from the graveyard abilities, uh, for the most part. So I wanted to take that and manipulate it into a color combination that is not known for doing this. So black, white, and and red. White is a little bit better now than it has been, but those three colors are known for lacking ramp. Um, besides, like, mana rocks and uh, other sort of, like, pseudo... I, I call it, like, faux ramp. Yeah. Like, like uh, they're not using lands to ramp. You're using spells to ramp. Uh, like, red spells and black spells yeah. that ramp you into yeah. a bigger threat. Like a dark ritual, Yeah, for dark example. rituals and seething songs but, and, and, and the ritual ritual effects um, that, that are, that are going to pull you ahead rather than putting extra lands on the battlefield. Yeah, so here, here's like the premise, all right? So this deck is sort of like a, a baby project of mine that I've been in the works since I bought my first Crucible of Worlds like three years ago. I was just trying to figure out how it would work. But now that white has a lot more catch-up in terms of land catch-up, it was a little bit easier to build now. Um, honestly, I've gotten bored with land strategies over the last few years. I played a ton of different itinerations of different land strategies before. Bruce has seen many of my decks where they do a lot of that stuff. Um, I wanted to use this color combination and, and do like sneaky effects to generate win conditions. So in this deck, there's like ten different win conditions, but you have to really de- play the deck to figure out what they what they are. Um, and this is a budget version of the deck. Again, we're a budget friendly uh, podcast, so the obvious includes would be you know the best lands that we talked about: fetch lands, the uh, pain lands that come in untapped if you pay life. The new Elish Norn would be an auto include, and some powerful tutor effects to increase the synergy. And then finally, Timna, which is the partner commander that allows you to draw cards when you attack um, opponents. Just, um, the, re- the list Ravos you have here is Ravos. Yeah, I put Ravos in because it's more okay. budget-friendly. Because Timna is right, a yeah, $30 okay. card. So Ravos actually works as well for the landfall creatures. Because Admonition Angel is a very expensive 6-mana flying 6-6 six, six, uh, mm-hmm. card. So if I sacrifice this as well... Um, you can recur things, and then with Rabos, I can bring it back to my hand. So it actually synergizes with our commander. Um, like all these creatures care about lands entering, or you sack them to do yeah. things. So like Magus of the Balance, it makes everybody uh, sort of balanced. <laughs> Let's see, Magus of the Will is like you can play lands from your graveyard in black. That's basically why the card oh, is in is here. That, I was I thought that card was in here because that's that's essentially a take on Yagmuth Will. Where so I'm sort of expecting like an underworld breach LED line or or something or some other line that's that's an that's. I mean, there's a possibility. Like I could run this with um. There's a combo in this deck where you sack all of your lands and then you bring them all back with Second right. Sunrise. So what I could do is do that, but I could only do it once because any of the cards that are put into my graveyard from anywhere are exiled. So. I would really only use the Magus. It's a cuttable card. I could probably cut this for something better. I just thought, like, if in a pinch I needed a blocker that I could, at instant speed, use an instant that I needed to recur something, right, right. then I could okay. use it. But again, it's not necessary. Um, the key pieces in the deck are Togo Goblin Weaponsmith creates little mm-hmm. rock tokens. Um, with that and Clock of Omens, oh. 
Clock of oh, Omens yeah. is an artifact that says tap two untapped artifacts, untapped target artifact. If you have Clock of Omens, Togo, and um, Prototype Portal, which creates token copies of artifacts that you control and artifact land in your hand underneath it, you can generate infinite uh, mana of one color, which I think oh. is hilarious. So that's one potential combo. There's other ones as well. There's um, Second Sunrise, uh, a, a Land Sacrifice Effect, and um, and then there's a Codex. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As well. There's that. I, there's a few other ones. Again, I'll let the audience. I, 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 I have to say, I but, love um, like the, all. There's a number of abilities in this deck. There, audience, will allow you to sacrifice a bunch of lands, and then if you do something like Second Sunrise, you get them all back into play, and then Togo would trigger a bunch of times, and then there's a little grinding station sitting over there in the artifacts. So now you got. So you're not milling people, though. What you're doing is using a grinding station to untap. You're using it as it untaps. You'll use that and the and the, and the, and the other token that you create, uh -huh. the rock token, to untap, to untap uh, other stuff. So like you're untapping like prototype portal, for I, example. I, I, I'm looking at that as a way it. to like mill out your opponents pretty quickly. But anyway, it's possible. But but the initial uh, meaning of it is like. All the artifacts in this list are meant to to be untapped for value. So, like, all the signets, you can fix yeah. your mana now. Um, there's other weird... I, I, I kind of want people just to, like, email me, like, the list of combos they found or synergy they found that they didn't <laughs> realize was there. Because now that I'm looking at it again for, like, the fifth time this week, there's even more tiny little weird interactions. Like, if you have, like, Walking Atlas out and you're able to untap Walking Atlas and you have a land in your hand, you can mm. put that out for free. Kind of like, kind of like the green abilities that do it. Um, scar tiller as well. Like you could scar tiller, put a land out from your hand, sacrifice it, untap scar tiller, tap scar tiller, return that land you sacrifice to the battlefield. So like, there's some strange, strange effects in this deck. That's all I have to say. Um, leave leave enchants. The instant from Amket is not a great instant unless it's used in the right deck. So. This returns any number of target permanents you own to your hand, and you can discard that many cards and draw that many. So, like, you're just basically able to draw a good amount of cards, um, and it's a yeah, it's so, a thirty five cent. Card, so you're looking so you're thinking of using that one to pick up lands off your off the table and then pitch them to draw yep. action, and then return them to play with one of the effects that return them to play. Right. Or like I could hold them in hand right. for later yeah, if yeah. I need them for landfall effects. Say I had say I had like ammunition angel right. in my hand, um, and I didn't have any lands that because I already got my land drops done. I could pick up like two or or one land, or I could save my creatures from removal spells too, because um, ammunition angel doesn't care how it leaves the battlefield as long as it leaves right. the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. Again. Uh, there's obvious cards that you can include in here and cut like weaker cards if you'd like. I just figured making a budget list of this would possibly work. Uh, it seems like yeah, it could. I think this this um, deck, I think this deck has got a lot of potential to be. I think it's I think it's a tricky deck in the sense that you're not going to it's not going to be obvious to somebody looking at it from the outside looking in because like even you and I having this conversation there like the things that I picked up on as being potentially very explosive ways to maybe. To, to, to ex extract value from this list or not how you had intended to build it but 
me as somebody on the outside looking in, like that's how I would like that like the Togo face reward or second sunrise plus grinding station to me, like there's like that's how you do it, baby. Right. Like you're gonna do that you're gonna do that for days <laughs> and you know, and just you know, go to work that way. Um but you know, even there you are, you're like, No, I'm not gonna do that. Or like retreat to Hagra, like you go and like put a whole bunch of lands out like, out of play, bring them back to play, drain your opponent for a bunch, and that may be enough. Or even buff a yeah. flyer, you know what I mean? Because I have a few flyers on the list. Um, one of the more underrated cards that's six mana, but it is six mana though, is Geode Rager. This might have been talked about on game nights, I don't even remember, but it's 35 cents. Whenever a land enters, you get to go to each creature target player controls. So you get to go to, so say you put two lands into play, you go to two opponents, all of their <laughs> creatures. So funny. Um, so like you get to like stall or like even even like Solemn Simulacrum with Geode Rager is a, is a cool, cute little synergy because um, it basically guarantees this landfall trigger. And Solemn is by itself not a... Like it's a... It's always been a playable card and I like it because it's always playable in decks, but it's not as impactful sometimes. But in this sort of deck, it actually makes the yeah. cut. You know what I mean? Which is nice. Which is kind of nice. Um... Let me think. Is it what was the other one? There was a few other weird ones that I was thinking of as I was going through this I, list. I, I appreciate Tectonic oh. Reformation. That gives all your land cards uh, cycling for a single red. I like that as a as an inclusion. That's really <laughs> uh, really cute. Um, way to turn all your all your lands into essentially a, a, a card draw spell. So I love that. Oh oh, here's one Celestial Dawn. This is a fifty cent card. Um, lands you control are planes. <laughs> so non-land cards you own that aren't in play, spells you control, and non-land permanents you control are white. You may spend white mana as though it were mana of any color. You may spend other mana only as though it were colorless. So I put this in because the one landfall deck says card Amiria Shepherd. Oh, yeah. It's like whenever a land enters, you may return target non-land permanent from your graveyard to your hand. Oh, if the land is wow. a planes, you may return that non-land permanent card in the battlefield so seven mana and if it sticks you can recur literally anything in this list except uh like instant sorcerers so that's so it's, cool it's, that's it's a really cute ability cute. i like that so, <laughs> hey. so audience um yeah. check out the list this is like this list is, is really fun um check it out for yourself if you're following along on moxfield you can go and check it out uh play test it see how it feels uh and before you build it Price tag is $260, which, okay, is a little bit higher than we normally have. So the most expensive yeah, cards, you could easily sure. cut them. Um, the most expensive is Urborg, which is that $40 land that turns everything yeah. into a swamp. You can cut that. And Grinding Station necessarily isn't that necessary. Um, you can find another artifact that untaps itself or find a way to untap something. Or you can like, alter the key. brood and do it that way. Yeah, so like... That's thirty. That's fifty dollars. Yeah. You can cut right off of there right now. Um, and then again, um, some of the cards are a few dollars, but most of them are very cheap. And you, and I'm sure like, like uh, the Ravos is an eight dollar card. Uh, most of the other, like some of the removal is a little bit more expensive. And Arachnomancer's map is eleven bucks. Yeah, you can, can totally cut that. that like one. it's that not was, necessary. That was a, that was a nice to have, not a must have. Right. So like. 
honestly, uh, the most expensive card you would need for this deck to be decent is Crucible Worlds. Again, it's about twenty bucks. Um, you know, skip the coffee at Starbucks for a week, and you're you're gonna be okay. You'll be able to afford yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, I right, check it so, out, audience. Uh, I think you're gonna mm. find it's pretty exciting. Um, really neat take on a landfall deck in non-traditional landfall colors, um, and doing some really cool things. So, check it out. If you have questions, email Pete or contact me on uh, uh, contact me. And I'll make sure I get the question to Pete so we can talk about it next week on the show. Would love to have further discussion on sure. it. If people are excited to talk about it. All right. Sh- should we move to wrap up, my cool. friend? Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I think so, I too. I think it's time. All right. So <laughs> that's going to wrap up this week's show, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, spending, spending the time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, if you want to get a hold of, of Pete, Pete's going to leave his... Email in the show notes, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I so got you. So if right you want now. to reach out, check the show notes and get a hold of Pete, you can email him. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, uh, at Epic EXP Cast. If you want to find me on Instagram, same thing, Epic EXP Cast. Uh, or you can go find all of our decks on moxfield.com under the username, the Epic Experiment Podcast. Uh, regardless of what platform you are on, um, whether it's uh, Podbean, Apple, to, uh, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or Amazon, or whatever else, uh, be sure to leave a question, make a comment, like, follow, subscribe, all that bit. Uh, every little bit helps get the word out there that we are here. We're talking Commander for you every week. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you guys, all right? Next week, we're, uh, we're, we'll cover more of what's going on in the world of Magic. Uh, we're gonna, I think next week we're going to have a special topic. We're going to be talking about uh, um, Popper Commander, which is, a, which is a format that is sort of gaining yes. in popularity um, as people are I'm continuing excited. to look for new ways to make sure that, that, that the game is fun uh, and is still uh, not too expensive because, uh, as we've seen with some of the pricing on some of these staples that they keep, seem to keep creeping up and up and up, uh, there are still lots of great ways to enjoy this game without breaking like emptying your wallet for every penny in it so check in there next week but that's for next week uh until then this is the epic experiment podcast signing off wishing you all the best wherever you guys next play magic thanks so much everybody take care have a great week we'll talk to you then okay.